good afternoon, church. My name is AJ McGraw. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Grace. I'm not Pastor Brett. Don't worry. Uh, I know we look very uh, similar. So I'm going to stand so you don't get confused with that. <laughs> um, I have the great honor and the great privilege of bringing the word to you today. And I'm really, really excited about that. Are you guys ready for a word from the Lord? Amen. Amen. Um, I'm glad you're here at 1245. I think you picked the right service to be at. If you're joining us online or watching the podcast uh, later in the week, thank you for being a part of our online family. Um, before I begin, I just want to give honor to our pastors, uh, Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim. Um, I, it's not lost on me uh, the significance of uh, this moment of allowing me to share their pulpit and their stage, uh, to steward this word with you all. And even more so, it's not lost on me the privilege that I have to get to serve under their leadership, to be discipled by them and to be trained by them. And so uh, could you just honor them with me um, by round of applause? They're not here, but um, we are grateful for what we get in our pastors. Uh, we are continuing a series on stewardship. Uh, if you haven't been with us for a couple weeks, you might be surprised to hear that. Last week was Easter. The week before that was Palm Sunday. And the week before that, Pastor Brett started us on a series uh, called Stewardship. And he preached about our singular service, that we are designed not to serve two masters, but one. We are to be singular in our service, in our devotion to God. And what will come out of that in an abundance of joy and gratitude to steward what we have. The ceiling comes off of our limit to give and to serve and to contribute. And it doesn't become a question of if I give. It becomes a question of how much can I give God? Because I see you singularly with such clarity and focus as my sole purpose and my sole reason for being here. And God, everything I can do to honor you, I want to. Everything that I do have, I want to steward well for your kingdom. And if you're new to church um, and the concept of stewardship, let me just explain that for you. It's really simple. Stewardship. Stewardship really just means taking care of something, to take care of something. Um, Often you take care of something that's yours. Stewardship would apply to things that belong to you, but it's really important to get that stewardship is not ownership. Stewardship is not control over something. Stewardship is care for something. Okay, stewardship is not control over something, it's care for something. And we as believers, stewardship is an obligation that we have in the kingdom of heaven because we've been entrusted with this gospel, right? We've been entrusted with this knowledge, with the power of the Holy Spirit to steward it well, to take care of it to the best of our ability, to live lives that preserve and uphold the seed of the gospel that was sown into our hearts. We don't own it, we care for it. And we care for it in such a way that it can do what it was designed to do. And we don't see this as a burden that we have to carry, but a joy that we get to walk in because we understand the value of that seed. Which is why our message today is titled, Stewardship, the Value of the Seed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you join us in this moment? God, would your Holy Spirit be present that we could hear from you, discern well, and apply this message to the areas, God, that you would specifically have us apply it. God, use me as your servant to deliver this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you understand the value of something, it affects how you handle it. 
When you understand the value of something, it affects how you handle it. If I pull out this ancient uh, you know, clay pot from the Ming dynasty, right? And I tell you the significance culturally and everything that's a part of it. And, and I tell you, this is worth $1.2 million at auction. Would you hold it for me? You'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't throw it at me, man. Just hand it, just set it down. And just, just don't mess with that, man. That's a lot of money we're gonna split. I never said we were gonna split the money. Where's your head at? Um, if, I, if you visit me in the hospital, on the day my son is born, and I take this little baby wrapped up in the blanket with the little beanie on, and he's crying, and I say, this is my son, the first of his name, the heir to my legacy, the future of all my children's children's children. Would you hold him? Right? How you receive that is impacted greatly by your understanding of the value of it, both the monetary value, but also the intrinsic worth. What's the worth of a legacy? How can you put a value on that? But when you understand the value of something, it impacts how you handle it. This is a concept that Paul was trying to get into the hearts and the minds of the Corinthians. Uh, We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9. So if you want to take your Bible out, you can flip to 2 Corinthians 9. And while you flip there, I'm going to give you some context. Paul is writing again to the Corinthians This is the third time he's actually writing to the Corinthians. Um, This poor church, man, in Corinth. Y'all know the Corinthians. I mean, my heart goes out to them. I feel like the Corinthians a lot of time. It's like they want to do right. They're trying to do right. But they just, for the life of them, cannot figure this thing out. Paul spends so much time with them. He writes them so many letters. And everyone is like, okay, you're not quite doing right there. Do this instead. You're not quite doing right there. Do this instead. That's also wrong. Don't do that. And these poor guys, right, they're just trying to make it work. So he's writing again, and he's trying, he's encouraging them, he's inspiring them. He's saying, I'm here, I'm talking to the Macedonians about you guys, and I'm telling them about your readiness to give to the ministry of the saints. In fact, I'm bragging on you guys. I'm like telling them, yo, my, my boys in Corinth, they are ready. They'll do whatever it takes. They'll give whatever it takes to give. They're going, man. Whatever you need, they got it, all right? And in fact, Paul says, i I may have bragged on you too much. I may have set the bar too high. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send some of the brothers from here to there to collect the gift that basically I promised in your name. And the reason he does that is because um, if they all showed up after Paul talked all this game and the church in Corinth had any hesitation or any reluctance, they would see through Paul's statement, and they would, they would see the gift that they do give as unwilling and as unwanted. But if they send it ahead of time, a gift that is sent, a gift that is given cannot be misinterpreted because it goes before the need is asked for. But if you come and you put a high standard on it, you put pressure on it, it might be seen as what Paul calls an exaction, something that's taken or something that's demanded. Why is this important? Why did I unpack this? It's because of this. Paul understands that just as important as a gift being given and received is the attitude of the gift. Because the attitude that goes with the gift can spoil it. He says, I'm going to send the brothers there to receive it because I don't want to risk any, any even thought that you might give out of wrong motivation. Because I don't want the attitude to spoil the gift. 
So Paul writes, we're picking up 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to be in verse 6. I just unpacked verse 1 through 5. Um, we're going to be in 6, 6 through 9 here. Paul writes this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. We're going to talk about three things today. The planting, the passion, and the provision because if your sermon doesn't have three Ps, it ain't worth preaching. <laughs> the planting, what we're planting, the passion, the heart with which we plant, and the provision that comes from what was planted. Verse 7, let's take a look back at it. The, or verse 6, I'm sorry. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Um, let's just be honest. Paul's not breaking new ground on this one, Okay but he needs to set it up. What you plant is what you harvest. Okay, what you put out there is what you get back. You ever been to like an all-day conference, an all-day training at work, and the instructor's like, okay, everybody, hope you participate because, because what you put in is what you'll get out. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have so much work I need to get out of here to do. Just let me go do that, right? There's a direct correlation between what you put in and what you get out. If you give little, there's little to be uh, received in return. If you sow many seeds, there can be much fruit to have. This is the spiritual principle of you can't withdraw what you didn't deposit, all right? You can't withdraw what you didn't deposit. And many of us show up on God's doorstep asking for a payout of blessing when we haven't sown in the worship, the devotion, the lordship for there to be anything there for us. We show up at the ATM of the kingdom and we get a reading that says insufficient funds, nothing to deposit. And we're going, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm in church, man. I'm out here grinding. Man, I got my ducks in a row. I think I'm doing it. But God is saying, but where are you? You haven't sown anything into the kingdom. Insufficient funds. You're saying, God, I want my healing now, man. I've had enough. You know what I decided? I've finally had enough. I'm ready to ask you for help. And you're getting an insufficient funds reading. Paul says, you're going to reap what you sow. And here's the really important thing on this. We're all sowing. We're all sowing. It's not that you're not sowing. This is not a question of if I should sow. Pastor, convince me if I should sow. No, no, no. It's not a question of if you should sow. It's what are you sowing? We sow into everything. Our careers, our kids, our finances, our investments, retirement. We sow into relationships, right? Right. You get a text, you don't want to respond too quick to the text because you'll be too eager to respond to the text. Right? You think about how much can I say without saying too much? How little can I say without being distant? Right? Should I bring this home? What is this gonna, gift going to be received? We sow into relationships. We sow into mindsets. We sow thoughts of anxiety. And fear, we plant seeds of bad thoughts, of doubt, of worst case scenarios, and we wonder, God, why am I reaping so much anxiety? 
We sow seeds of gossip and criticism at work, and we wonder, God, why is everybody in conflict with me? Why don't they all just see it my way? We doubt every decision everybody around us has ever made, and we criticize everything they're doing, and we're going, hey, nobody wants me on their team. What's up with this? God, I got it all going on. What you sow is what you reap. It's not a question of if we sow. It's a question of what are we sowing because you can sow things that produce fruit in your life and fruit for the kingdom of heaven or you can sow seeds that will produce weeds that choke out the calling that God's put on you and will choke out the fruit that he wants. And when we look back at what we've reaped, it's not what we thought we were sowing. And Paul says, in fact, it's not just what you sow, but it's how you sow. It's the condition of your heart while sowing. This is our passion. Verse 7, each one of us must give as he has decided, or the NASB says purposed, in his heart. Not reluctantly and not under compulsion. For God loves a what? Doesn't he though? When Paul says each one in this, we've got to just take a moment and receive the freedom that's in that. All right? Each one of us, each individual person in each individual seat, you need to look into what God has purposed in your heart. We will kill ourselves by comparison. You know it's true. So Paul is saying, you don't need to peek at what they're putting in the offering basket. You don't need to look at their phone as they're texting GCC to 25827 and they're punching in there. You don't need to worry about what the person on your right or your left is giving or doing. You don't have to worry about how much they're serving versus how much you're serving or, or they seem to be getting all this accolade and, 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 and they get the opportunity and, 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 and I really don't. So, so maybe I just won't give. You know, I, I don't even have enough to give. I'm not really good at much anyways. I'll just come and receive. You know, we will invalidate ourselves and our calling when we compare it to somebody else's. You will invalidate the purpose that God has put on you when you compare it to somebody else. Pastor June got to preach the first service today. Pastor Jared preached the second service, and I'm here preaching the third service. And if I spent those services comparing myself to them, I would just be like a puddle up here, <laughs> sobbing and just feeling, I can't do it, God. Why would you put me with these two amazing pastors and then make me go last? Right? No, 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 no. I know God has put purpose on my heart and in my life to do what he has called me to do. So I'm going to be here doing it. All right? I'm not going to invalidate my gift. I'm going to give out of what God has given to me. That's what I'm here to do because it's about how we give before it's about how much we give. It's about how we give before it's about how much we give because the, the, the attitude can spoil the gift. Paul says, give as you have decided, as God has purposed in your heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, I'm at an age now, what am I, 32? I can't, I'm 32. And uh, this is a running joke with my wife and I. Um, 
We have two little kids, Logan, who's three, Levi, who's one, and I've noticed that people around my age in this like mid-20s to probably late 30s uh, live in an age of reluctance and compulsion. <laughs> like invite, especially if you're an introvert, like invite a 30-year-old introvert to anything, and it's like, could you not... I've got to get dressed. I've got to go out. I've got to do what? No, I don't want to go to your birthday party. I want to go to bed. All right, you want to do what after work? Do you know how much Netflix I have to catch up on? Why did you? I wouldn't leave my house if it weren't for all these people inviting me places. (laughs) Okay, we like live in this attitude of reluctance and compulsion. We do this stuff because of the peer pressure involved in it, not out of a want to, but out of a have to. And Paul says, no, 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 don't give, but, but not out of reluctance or compulsion. So the question for us is, how do we move from compulsion to devotion? So the devil will use your guilt, he will use your faith against you to get you to give out of reluctance and compulsion. I think the devil would rather have you give out of an attitude of reluctance than not have you give at all. Because when you sow in an attitude of I've got to do this, they keep asking me for it. Don't they know I've got things to do? They want me to serve again. They got another offering message again. That's sowing seeds of bitterness and resentment to God. Oh, that's a victory for the enemy. He would rather have you give from that attitude than have you not give at all. Because at least then we can, you know, help disciple you up into understanding why. When we do offering messages, when Ashley comes up here and delivers a powerful word on the offering, it's not to inspire guilt. You know that, right? It's not to inspire guilt in you that you're like, oh, you're right, this crushing sense. No, no, no. It's to point into scripture to say, this is what God says about it. This is what God has proven that he'll do about it. And we want to stir your heart on the remembrance of what God has done in your life. And from that attitude, Cheerfulness is produced, joy is produced, is comes up out of that. Paul is not saying, this is so, cl- I want to just, Paul is not saying do what you feel. This is really important. Each of you must decide, as he has decided in his heart, he is not saying do what you feel. He is saying tune in to the purposes that God has placed in you and what he's done through you. Jeremiah says in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Don't listen to your heart. All right? <laughs> listen to your heart. No, 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 no. Don't listen to your heart. Okay? <laughs> it's deceitful and desperately sick. Paul is saying, look at what God has purposed in you. Remember that Fight for that. Overcome the temptation, the reluctancy, the guilt, the thought, man, I don't have enough in my bank account to give. I don't have enough time to serve. I can't sow anywhere. You fight for what God has done for you because if the devil can't stop you from doing it, he's going to try to spoil your gift. Has God not proven himself good to you? Has he not proven himself faithful to you? Has he not shown you reconciliation and healing and how to live a life of abundance and relationship to him and to those around you? When you understand the value of something, it affects how you handle it. And when we remember the value of the seed that was sown into our souls, we no longer have to question what we give. 
we don't really even have to question how we give because that joy will flow freely out of us and will cause us to be what Paul says is a cheerful giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. You know, sacrifice to God is not pleasing if it's not voluntary. Sacrifice to God is not pleasing if it's not voluntary. When my wife asked me in the morning, hey, can you handle drop-off today? Can you take the kids? Can you pack their bags? Can you make their lunch? Can you get them in the car seats, put them in the car, drive out of your way to be late for work and drop the kids off today? And I go, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Perfect. Yeah, love to. How many of you know that's the wrong answer? <laughs> that does not inspire a, a, a service or gratitude in her heart. She's not pleased with me when out of my reluctance, and I go, oh, sure, Michelle, love to, right? Her mood changes instantly, just like yours would, because my heart is not in it, and we invalidate our service by our attitude. And though I do it, Though I pack the bags, though I put them in their car seats, though I drive out of my way, though I might be late to work, I do it, but I've invalidated everything I've done by my attitude. Sacrifice to God is not pleasing if it's not voluntary. Our faith, your faith, should be challenging you every day to do things you don't normally do, to say things you wouldn't normally say, to behave in ways you wouldn't normally behave, to have thoughts that you wouldn't normally have. Jesus says it like this in Luke 6, verses 32 through 35. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend without expectation of getting back, and your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Sacrifice is not pleasing if it's not voluntary. There's the sacrifice. Love those who don't love you. Do good to those who wrong you. Lend to those who can't repay you. Give abundantly. Serve willingly. And do so out of an abundance of joy that comes from knowing Christ, from being a child of the Most High. If you're not in that place, and you say, man, stop shouting at me. You, you can speak as loud as you want. I'm not hearing it. If you're not in that place of a cheerful giver, or you're not understanding what God has purposed deep within your heart, let me just challenge you and encourage you to make that the cry of your heart to find that. Maybe, maybe churches have hurt you in the past, or maybe, maybe people have hurt you in the past, or you've heard things about churches and what they do with the offering and abusing it and all this stuff. But listen, we give out of response to what God gave, not out of what man does. We give out of a response to what God gave to us first. John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave. I would challenge you, make that the cry of your heart. Seek Christ on it. Don't seek approval or affirmation from man. Seek Christ on it. Seek his pleasing, uh, smiling face back at you that he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because there's a promise in this passage and the promise is that God is able to abundantly provide. 
verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God abundantly provides for those who sow out of love for him. There's a promise of provision that God is able. Someone say, God is able. God is able. And he calls out, Paul calls out two ways that God is able to provide. The first is grace to us. And the second is works through us. God provides grace to us and works through us. That grace would abound to you for what? For sufficiency that you may have sufficiency in all things at all times. That word sufficiency, it means satisfaction or contentment. That you would have satisfaction, that you would be content in all things and at all times. Not, Not just that we will have enough, but more importantly, our spirit would be satisfied with what we do have. This is what grace looks like. That we understand that we don't deserve what we do have. We're just grateful that we've got anything at all. We understand, God, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance today. I don't deserve this job I have. I don't deserve this relationship I have. But God, I'm just grateful I've got anything. Anything I've got, God, I'm grateful for that. That is grace on your life. That is visible by everybody around you. He provides abundant grace to us. And for what reason? that we would abound in every good work, not that we would be happy, not that we could buy that third car, that second house, that watch, that bag, so-and-so God will sew back. Let's go. No, 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 no. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) That God would produce work in us, that we would have so much grace that we would bless others, that we would pay it forward, that we would minister the gospel effectively. We are blessed to be a blessing, Right. right? To steward what we have well in response to what God has given to us. All that he's given We take care of it according to his word to extend and further his kingdom here on earth. I am sorry for dancing. I'm not that sorry. It was fun. Our planting, what we plant, is directly correlated to what we reap. What we reap is directly correlated to the condition of our heart, to our passion. And this sowing comes with a promise that God is able to abundantly provide. But why? Why is that promise in there? Why would Paul point back to that? I think the answer is in verse, verse 9. As it's written, and Paul is referencing Psalm 112 in this, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Why does God abundantly provide to those who sow out of love? It's because this is what he has always done. He abundantly gives out of his great love for us. He distributes freely to the poor. Hey, the poor, that's us. This is not God saying, I put money in the pockets of those who don't have it. Church, let me challenge you. That might just be our job to care for the poor, for the widowed, 
for the orphaned, for the immigrant. That might just be our job as the church. But God says, I distribute freely to the poor. It's the poor in spirit, the poor in heart, the poor in faith, the weak in integrity, those who just can't get their minds around this gospel being true every day. And it says, he pours out grace upon grace upon grace. He distributes new mercies every morning. He pursues you. He chases you. He hunts you down to the point of becoming a man, taking on the burden of our sin, hanging up on a cross that you might be reconciled to him and that in his death you might live. He distributes freely to us. And if we could deeply understand that, deep in our hearts, it doesn't become a question of what we do in response to that. It becomes abundantly clear that there is no limit to which, God, I want to honor you with what I've got. There is no limit to which, God, I want to serve your kingdom until I can't stand anymore. I want to serve until I'm exhausted. There becomes no end to how we want to engage his people, extend his kingdom. In fact, the only logical and obedient response is to freely and abundantly sow into the things of the kingdom out of response to his work on the cross. That he might be honored, that his name might be glorified, and that his purposes on this earth will be extended and accomplished. When you understand the value of something, it affects how you handle it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not take for granted your mercy. We do not take for granted your presence here with us today. God, we reflect on the work that you did on the cross. We reflect on how you pursued us, that you loved us when we were unlovable, that you were faithful to us when we were unfaithful. God, and we don't feel bad about our condition, but God, we feel grateful for your grace. We feel empowered by your mercy. And the response is clear, Lord. Use us. Use us. That we might give this same experience to someone who is far off from you. That they would be drawn near and into the kingdom of heaven.